Okay, so what are crises people are going through? Job loss. Yep. Mental health. Right, yeah. yeah. Loss of loved ones. Yeah, that's hard. What else? Yeah, physical health. Right? And our mind and body are connected, right? So if, you know, all the stress that we've been feeling for the last two years, uh, that has been universal to everyone, that has to affect our bodies. Financial. Yeah. Yeah, does your dollar go as far as it did, you know, a year ago? Mine doesn't. The war in Ukraine. Yeah. Right? War. And yeah, there's other wars happening too, right? Famine, yeah, there's famines happening around the world. Health. So we have so many many problems, many crises people are going through. Let's see online, if anyone online has any good ideas of crises. Mel says, high prices, gas, food, and so much more. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, there is so much more that we can talk about. And, and the truth is, is, you know, my, the way I'm wired is if I see a problem, I want to go and fix it as soon as possible. Right, and obviously all these crises I can't fix. I, I don't want to wait. I want to drop whatever I'm doing and fix whatever problems I can, or try and manage whatever problems I can. And, and oftentimes I understand that's a flaw, but uh, but sometimes it's a help, right? Like you don't want to go three weeks without a hot water heater. It goes. I'm going to go fix it, right? Uh, <laughs> you got to deal with it right now. Um, what we're going to see as we continue our journey through Exodus, we saw last week, we saw the first nine plagues that God sent against Egypt uh, for their uh, mistreatment of Israel, for their slavery of Israel, for refusing to let them go to even worship the one true God. Uh, and now what we see here is uh, kind of an interesting text. We're all used to hearing about it, reading about it, seeing it in movies. Uh, the 10th and final plague against Egypt um, but God does something weird in the midst of this text, which I'll tell you, over the last few weeks working on this text, it was like, what, what, are, what are you doing here, God? This doesn't make sense. Um, he basically tells Israel in the midst of their crisis to remember the work that he has done and is about to do for them. It's interesting. Why does God tell us to remember his works in the middle of a crisis? Because in my mind, just go, right? Get it done. There's no time. <laughs> it's a crisis for crying out loud. So we come to the text, and you remember last week we saw the first nine of the plagues against Egypt. And now uh, what we find here, and again, the Bible is, I believe it's fully inspired, but it is also literature. And so the last thing we saw between Pharaoh and Moses, Pharaoh said to him, to Moses, leave me, make sure you never see my face again, for on that day you see my face, you will die. And Moses says, as you said, I will never see your face again. Um, and then it kind of jumps back in time. And in ver chapter uh, 11, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. Uh, my read is that, they're highly regarded because they are now terrified of Moses. What will he do next? Right? <laughs> like, whatever you want, man. And then the text jumps kind of back in time again a little bit. 
Um, and, and this is right before Pharaoh says, on that day you see my face, you will die. It's almost like Moses is going out and he stops and does kind of like a, uh, a Columbo. Oh, one more thing. Right? And he says one more thing to him. So verse 4, Moses says, this is what Yahweh, or the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. I think he's angry because, you know, Pharaoh said, I've. If I ever see your face again, I'll kill you. And this is a hard thing to say. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. Um, so we talked last week, like I think that hardening of the heart, uh, God used it for his purposes to multiply those promises, but I also think he was giving Pharaoh what he wanted, right? When Pharaoh lacked the energy to continue to enslave God's people, um, God gave him the, the physical energy in order to have the willpower to continue uh, to do what he wanted to do, um, so that God could use as, as an example. Uh, so... But, but let's look at this from Moses' perspective. Moses, he's going up against, going up against the most powerful man in the world over and over and over again. Now he has to tell them this horrible plague that's coming. The firstborn of everyone is going to die because you refuse to let God's people go. Um, it, is, it is incredibly hard to confront people with their sin, isn't it? Uh, it's really hard to confront powerful people with their sin. And it's really hard to confront powerful people who affect other people's lives. Like if you think about it, like if you have to go talk to a dad who's making decisions that are hurting his family, that's hard, right? Because if he doesn't listen, he can make it even worse. Or if you think about, uh, I, I'm sure what Moses was feeling is uh, the, the, the thing we're all feeling right now with the war in Ukraine. I mean, from my perspective, which is limited, of course, but from my perspective, <laughs> this war is being fought because of one man's uh, arrogance, narcissism, and ego, Vladimir Putin. And he is, uh, his decisions have killed more soldiers than America lost in the Afghanistan war in just two weeks. His own soldiers. His decision is uh, decimating Ukraine. I mean, he's, uh, obviously, it's, it's destroying the lives of women and children and, and men who want nothing to do with this conflict. But look what he's doing to his own people through this. Right? There are soldiers that don't want to be a part of this. Last count, I think 5,000 of his own soldiers are gone or, or injured or dead. Um, you have thousands of people who have protested, Russians who have protested this war, and they are imprisoned. 
Uh, in fact, I've been told that the church in general is uh, in Russia is largely divided in half over should we be in this war, should we not be in this war, because they totally control the news media, and so half of the believers have been deceived uh, because the, the the government totally controls the news media. Right? None of us have ever experienced fake news to the extent that they have in Russia because they control it all. And now Moses has to go and confront someone like this. It's really hard. The drama is incredible. Then chapter 12 says, Then, Moses, then uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. And then he goes on with more instructions. But it's kind of interesting here, right? Because he says... Um, he changes their calendar, or at least their thought process of the calendar. Um, he says, hey, uh, we're going to start a new celebration because of what's about to happen right now, because of my work here in Egypt. We're going to start a new celebration. This will be, in your mind, the beginning of the year. He changes their whole mental calendar. Now, that's kind of crazy, right? Because it takes an act of Congress to change the clocks a mere hour. <laughs> which thank goodness, they're heading that direction. The Senate approved it. Let's pray to the House and the President approve it as well so we can get done with this whole daylight saving time, you know, change an hour twice a year um, and ruin Nathan's sleep and the sleep of his children. <laughs> Some of you might disagree and you are entitled to your opinion. You are welcome to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but God, here he, he says you are going to mentally say the, this, this new holiday that he's about to give them. This is it. Verse 5, he says, you must have an unblenished animal, a year old male. It may, you may take it from either the sheep or the goat. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where they will eat them. They're to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Verse 10, you must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is strange, right? Because it's almost like when you're reading this text, on one hand, he's like setting up a holiday, but he's also telling them what you're going to do tonight or, or very soon in the near future. right? Like what's It's kind of strange. It's weird. But let's just look at the first aspect of this holiday. He says you're going to take an un blemished animal, lamb or goat, and you're going to slaughter it. And I know for me, like I'm a jaded adult, right? I know where my food comes from. I don't care. Like I don't name it, right? So as long as you don't name it, it's fine. Um, like I'm a jaded adult. I've, I've read the Bible most of my life. I know about sacrifices. I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. Like it's like, you know, I'm not there. Um, but man, when, when my son, when he hears about sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Like that kid breaks down and cries. And let me tell you, as a dad, I'm like, oh, dude, come on. <laughs> right? Like I am. I'm like, oh man, come on, dude. It, like just like it's, it, it's totally abstract too. It's not like we're not, we're not 
killing one of the cats here or anything, right? So this, it happened in the past, right? It's totally abstract. But for him, he's like really upset about this. And after, I don't know, like the fifth or sixth time where I'm like rolling my eyes, like, dude, come on, man up. I kind of realized, I think the Holy Spirit finally broke through to me. I think he has the right idea. As all the women are like, yeah, you monster. <laughs> like seriously, several of you are like, yeah, what's, <laughs> poor little boy. I, <laughs> I think my son has the right idea. Something has to die for Israel. And we find out more about this in the next section, but I, I, think, I think my jaded viewpoint of like, eh, whatever, it's just, you know, something happened in the past, or I didn't name it, so it's good. Um, I, I think that's the wrong idea. I think that's not having a heart like the heart of God. I think my son's being upset at this blameless, spotless animal being killed is the right mentality. It's a sacrifice. It costs something. There is a tragedy in it. And he tells them why he, will, uh, why he calls them to do this. Verse 12, he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Um, so it's interesting here. This is the first time the gods of Egypt are mentioned throughout Exodus. Um, I know some people say, well, this is a showdown between Yahweh, the Lord, and the gods of Egypt. And I, I, I don't think so. I think Moses mentions it in passing here because uh, there's no contest. There's no contest. The Lord is the one who causes things to be the way they are. No one or nothing or nor power can stop him. Uh, he says, no plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land. So what we understand, what we see is that God Himself says, I'm going to pass through. Later on we see that there's a destroyer that's with Him. But, but, but in God's presence, His justice, along with His, his love, but His justice is there too. And, and we realize that in God's presence, none of us are fully just. All of us fail in some sense. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Every single one of us. And so, God is saying, if you want to be spared, there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a replacement. Something has to die in your place because you deserve my justice. My wrath. You deserve justice. And if I came through your camp, all of you would die because you're all guilty. Something must take your place. Which seems odd for some people uh, who haven't grown up in the church, and I understand that, but we understand the idea of a substitution, right, or collateral. Uh, most of us, if we take a loan out, you have to put up some sort of collateral, right? So you take a loan out on your car, and you're not able to make those payments, you are deficient in your payments, what do they do? They take the car, right? You have house payments, and you're not able to make those house payments, what do they do? Take the house, right? 2008, 2009. I mean, we saw so much of that. So many people's lives were devastated by it. Um, and it's, it's, they, they take the house. Right? It's a replacement. Well, you can't pay me. We'll take the house. Oh, you can pay me. We will leave the house. Right? It's just this is how it works. We have that understanding. 
That's similarly what's happening here in this text. You're going to take an unblemished animal that has nothing to do with any of your human morality, and you're going to sacrifice it. So this is pretty heady stuff, heavy stuff, right? Like, this is really heavy. Like, there's going to be a cry in Egypt unlike any cry that has ever been before. Um, they're, the firstborn are going to die in Egypt. And if you don't uh, take one of your animals, which, by the way, I mean, how much does an, a perfect, unblemished animal cost? I mean, you think about the personal cost to them. right? Any of you, anyone have uh, horses? Anybody have horses here? We used to have a whole ton of people, and they're all like, yeah, we're not having horses anymore. But, but how much does a horse cost? I mean, horses are a lot. How much does a purebred horse cost? Anybody have dogs? Anybody have like a, a purebred dog? They're expensive. And God's saying, okay, that, that, that animal's life for your life. That's a cost. So in the midst of all this weight, right? Like you're like, okay, so much drama, so much tension. Oh, it's going to be horrible what comes. The terrible price of our freedom. Oh, what's happening? Um, Moses takes a really weird turn. Like it's really bizarre that he does this. Verse 14, then he starts telling them about um, in the future, you're going to celebrate this day. Verse 14, this day is to be a memorial for you and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute you must eat unleavened bread for seven days and then he goes on about how uh, you have to make sure it's unleavened and how the day is holy uh, verse 17 you are to observe the festival on unleavened bread because on this very day i brought your military divisions out of the land of egypt you must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute okay he mentions it twice verse 20 do not eat anything unleavened or leavened even unleavened bread eat unleavened bread in all your homes. Okay, this is weird. You're in the middle of a crisis and he's like, okay, now let's talk about holiday plans. What? Right? <laughs> if you're in the middle of a crisis, right? Like all of a sudden you're, uh, your bank account's overdrafted or your house is being foreclosed on. You're like, okay, but hold on. Let's make some holiday plans here. Like uh, what are we doing for Christmas and what do we want for dinner? Like, no, you're in the middle of a crisis. Like this is, this is, incredible no one is talking like when you're you're uh you're having a major health problem you're having major surgery right you're at a funeral and you're like okay so now let's uh let's talk about how uh how how we're going to commemorate this day in the future right can you imagine if if over in ukraine right they gather all of their their troops together and they say okay guys you know russia's pushing hard right now they're just using some supersonic missiles before anything let's take a break so I'll take a breath. One day we're going to get through this, and um, how do we want to celebrate this, right? Obviously, we're going to use blue and yellow all around. We should probably do some sort of cake, but actually we should come up with, with like a special uh, confectioner uh, thing, some kind of dessert that we only eat on this day to remind us when we beat the Russians. I mean, that's crazy pants, right? It's crazy talk. Like, you don't even know. Like, like, what's going on? Why is God doing this? Why is God telling them to remember his work in the middle of a crisis? Like, Lord, you could tell us this, you know, further down the road once we've gotten away from the murderous Egyptians who've enslaved us for, for several generations and murdered all of our babies, right? Maybe we could wait a minute. Why does God tell us to remember his work in the middle of a conflict? 
It's really strange. So then verse 22, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it into the blood uh, that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door, out of his house until morning. When Yahweh passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Uh, we don't know really who this destroyer is, but it, it's, he has like come some kind of aid as God's presence is going through all the land of Egypt. And, uh, and he says, you have to have this blood on your, your doorposts so the destroyer doesn't enter. Now, like, does God need this sign to tell who his people are? So why is this sign here? I think it's for a few reasons. I think one, it's, it's for us, right? It's for the Israelites so that they know, hey, I, this is a visible reminder. I belong to God. <laughs> and I think uh, the sign is actually a sign of obedience. Will you trust me enough? Do you follow me enough to do this thing? Yes or no? And it's actually a universal sign too. If there were Egyptians in the midst who heard and feared God, they could do it too. If there were Israelites who are belligerent, you know, like some of you who've had young children and you tell them, hey, um, can you pick up that one shoe there? And it becomes the heaviest object in the universe that they can't possibly move. Right? And it turns into a whole three-hour ordeal with crying and snot coming out of noses and like just screaming and yelling and you're just like... If they're like that and they say no, or I'm not going to do it. You know how much this, you know how much this this lamb cost? The destroyer would enter their home. So I think the sign is a sign of obedience and I think it's a sign for us. Okay, so then all right, we're like okay, tension, building, building. And then what do we get? We get several more verses about how to celebrate this holiday in the future after God has done it. What? Verse 24, keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe the ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. Okay, um, how many films have you seen of the Exodus? Right? How, how many have you seen? What do you, like I can, I've seen, you know, the Ten Commandments. I've seen the Prince of Egypt. Wink. <laughs> um, I saw. Oh, what was it? Exodus, Gods, and um, Generals. Right? Which um, I don't think is nearly as bad as everyone says it was. There were some actually really cool parts in that that film. It was flawed. I agree. Um, there's other ones. Um, but, uh, but whatever, they're out there, right? So you see these movies, and they're huge, and they're wonderful. Ah, you know, and have you ever seen at this moment where the, the death of the firstborn is about to happen, such a horrible, terrible plague, so much tension, and will Israel be allowed to go? Will they get out of slavery? So much tension, so much tension. Have you seen any filmmaker be like, okay, now let's pause and have a history about the Passover? Have you seen any of those movies do that? No, why don't they do that? 
bad storytelling, right? Like, you're not like watching a Marvel movie like, oh no, is Thanos going to get it? Oh my gosh, what's happening? Okay, hold on, guys. Now, let's watch a 30-minute documentary on how ants build their homes. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) And then you're like sitting there like, okay, this is a joke. No, they're showing us how ants, oh my goodness, this is what's happening right now, right? And then when it comes back, you're like, yeah, okay. Oh, they beat them. Great. Right? The tension is all gone. This is strange storytelling. So the fact that God is doing this, he's saying something. Why does God tell us to remember his work in the middle of a crisis? It's so strange that this keeps getting inserted here in the middle of a crisis because we don't show it in film. We absolutely don't show it in film. <laughs> the filmmakers read it and they're like, okay, we'll just ignore that section, ignore that section, ignore that section because it'll break up the tension. Audiences will fall asleep. Verse 29, Now at midnight, Yahweh struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all of his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house with someone dead in it. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave. And also bless me. I think he said bless me in the sense of I need some supernatural help here. I think he was saying bless me by never being here again. Um... This is, um, this is hard, right? There, 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 there were babies that passed. There were children that passed. Um, there were adults that passed. It's, uh, it's hard to reconcile that with loving God, isn't it? Um, we can try and uh, rationalize it and say, well, you know, this was God's justice against Egypt because they had killed all the firstborn males, you know, two generations prior. Um, you know, this is this is God's justice happening, but man, it's horrifying to see. God's justice is horrifying. Here's what I was thinking while I was reading this. Um, do you ever feel that life is unfair to you? Do you? I do all the time. I'm a little snot. <laughs> It's not fear, right? Like all the time. You ever feel like life is unfair? Here's my thought with this text. What if this text gives us a glimpse of what would happen if life was fair? What if this text is showing us what would actually happen if life was fair? That every hurt that I've caused would come back on me and my children. That that every time I I have injured someone, it will come back on me. I mean, can you imagine like every time I've given someone the flu, oh my goodness, I'm going to get, and all those people, that's going to come back on me and my family? Or all the people that someone has given COVID? If God is saying, okay, those people died, then I'm going to take out all of those people in your family, or in your family and from your line of your friends and family. Can you imagine that? What if this is an image of what a fair life would be? See, I don't think life isn't fair, so to speak, well, actually, I do. 
I think life isn't fair, but we get more grace than we actually deserve. I think we're given a, horrib- a horrifying image of if we want nothing but unfettered justice, if God's just going to bring his justice into our lives, this is what it looks like, and I'm not signing up for that. I'm glad that life is unfair. I'm glad that God gives more grace to me, to non-believers, to everyone, than say, okay, you guys want justice, I will give you nothing but justice. The horrifying thought is maybe life is fair and all the horrible things that happen to me, I really do deserve. (laughs) But I think life is unfair and God gives us more grace. I'm not saying you deserve everything that happens to you. We live in a fallen, messed up world, but I think this is a horrifying image of what happens when God's justice comes, when everything is fair and it is terrifying. It's terrifying. Verse 33, now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we're all going to die. Yeah. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, which is why they practiced the unleavened bread. Uh, And their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloths and their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items for clothing. And the Lord gave people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. Right? Why, Why were the people so in favor of them? Just leave. They're scared, right? Just leave. Just go. And, you know, some people have said, well, this wasn't really fair of the Israelites, you know, like that they, you know, would take all this money. But I, I think it's absolutely fair. What was all this money and gold that they took? What's that? Yeah. It was back pay for all the slave labor that they did. Yeah. Absolutely. So then verse 37 tells us where they traveled and... Um, Verse 40 just gives us a historical note. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on the same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night vigil in honor of Yahweh because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites through their generations. So then, (laughs) all right, they they got out. They, they, They got out of Egypt. Right? They've moved out. Oh, wow. Fantastic. What do we do next? Right? They're, they're not out of, you know, we know the rest of the story. They're, they've got some issues ahead with Egypt that they still have to deal with. And what does the Lord do in His holy word? Let's give you more Passover instructions. Okay. More instructions. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner may eat it, but any slave who has purchased may eat it after you have circumcised him. A temporary resident or hired worker may not eat the Passover. It is to be eaten in one home. You may not take any of the meat outside the house, and you may not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. And they go on. That this is a Passover for all generations. Why does God in the middle of a crisis tell us to remember his work? And then chapter 13, guess what he gives us again? More Passover rules. In chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domesticated animal. It is mine. Um, Consecrate means this belongs to me, and you are supposed to sacrifice this to me. Oh, wait a minute. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for Yahweh brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Um, 
verse 8 on that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute as it is appointed. Um, in verse 14, it says, In the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, bo both the firstborn uh, humans and the firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrificed to Yahweh all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So there is a substitute for them. So I let it be a sign on your hand, and symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. Um, so he has them consecrate all of their firstborn children to God. Consecrate means I'm setting this aside for sacrifice to God, but then they redeem the sacrifice. I think God is doing that because God is saying what we all forget. We, I forget it often that God owns everything, that, we owe, that he owes us absolutely nothing, that he is the author of life, and he can take that life away without imputing his morality. It's his. Everything belongs to him. But he's not a monster. So he's doing this as a reminder to say, everyone and everything belong to me. I am just and everything I do is good. So, why does God tell Israel to remember his work in the middle of this crisis? Why does he spend so much time telling them to observe the Passover? Remember what I did. Remember what I did. Why does he do it? Well, I think the answer is embedded right here in verse 8. On that day, explain to your son. Explain this to your children. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. God tells them and he tells us, remember his work. Remember the works He's done in your life. Remember the works He's done throughout Scripture in the middle of a crisis so that future generations will obey the Lord. So that in the middle of the crisis, when you're freaking out and everything's falling apart, and you say, you know what? We're going to go to church. You know what? We're going to pray right now. You know what? We're going to thank God for everything He's done for us in our lives and throughout all of human history. Your children go like, that's crazy. we got to go fix this right now. And time and time again, you are giving them a testimony that says, no, we're going to trust in Him. And also, for us personally, it says, look, God has done this work in the past. He's not going to leave me high and dry. I belong to Him. Um, so God said over and over again, this is a statute for all generations. For all generations. That you will observe the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When's the last time you followed the Passover? When's the last time you guys observed Passover? I feel, I feel like Rob's like, well, I had a Seder once. Have you ever been to a Seder? Right? Yeah, I've been to a Seder. So that was like um, 25 years ago. You were there too, Tim. <laughs> he said, but he says practice this every year for all generations oh wow how terrible we shouldn't be doing this uh, like but i know some of you are like well no but we're not jewish right so it's okay we're not jewish oh okay except for that uh drayton go ahead and put up uh, galatians here for me in galatians 3 it says and if you belong to christ then you are abraham's seed heirs according to the promise oh no 
<laughs> so, so what have we been doing? Have we been failing God? He says, for all time. For all time. You're supposed to observe this. So we failed God, right? Eh, no. Because uh, as Pastor Bruce pointed out just a second ago, if you go to Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus does something very interesting in verse 12. He says, on that first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, and his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so you may eat it? He tells them, and then we jump down to verse 22, at the Passover unleavened bread meal, as they were eating, he took bread, blessed it and broke it. Remember, this, this bread has symbolism. The bread is symbolizing that, that God took them quickly out of Egypt and they didn't have time to put leaven in it, and so they're not supposed to put leaven in it. And Jesus blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. Wait a minute, that's not what the image means. We just read like three chapters over and over again about what the image was. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank from it. Right? We know what the Passover symbol is. This is the symbol of the innocent uh, blood of the animals spilt out and placed over the lentils. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. What? That's not what it, what it was. Now, can you change the meaning of the Passover? Like, is it appropriate for you to change the meaning of the Passover? You can say, you know what? I want to have Passover at my house. We're going to follow Passover. But, but instead of, you know, all that other stuff over there, we're going to make it about uh, artistic expression, right? Like, it's about artistic expression. You know, we're going to use the bread, and that's going to be about how, like, you know, you have to slide under the radar of people who don't like you. But, uh, but then we're going to use the wine, and that's going to be like, man, life is good, and we have to be fun and creative, and that's what that is. Can you change the images of Passover, the meaning of Passover? Is it appropriate for you to do so? No. You know what it would be if you changed the images of Passover? Heresy. Blasphemy. Right? <laughs> like, God is the one who instituted blasphemy. God is the one who instituted Passover. So why can Jesus change it? Why can he give new meaning to the, to the images? Because he's God. And he doesn't like totally change it. He gives it fuller meaning. He gives it fuller understanding. He says, look, this bread is my body which is broken for you. This cup, this blood is my blood spilt out for you so that whoever believes in me can have eternal life, can have all their sins forgiven, and it won't be held against them any longer. Jesus is saying He is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. He died on the cross for our sins so that whoever believes in Him can have their sins forgiven. They can be adopted into God's family. They can be given meaning and purpose based on who God is, not who we are. Jesus came and He took that and He said, this, this is it. And that's why, that's why we have to focus on God's work. Certainly God's work in our past. You know, I remember that time he, got, he paid that bill for me. I remember that time he fixed my heater. I remember that time that uh, I got a loaner car so that I could go to work. I remember that time I got that job I didn't think I was going to get. Right? That is helpful. 
And we give praise to God in that. But, but more than that, the work that Moses was pointing Israel back to and, and the work that, that we are pointing back to is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he is alive, because he died for me and my sins are forgiven, I've been adopted by God. It doesn't matter what happens in this life, though it hurts, it's not worth comparing to the future glory that is in Christ Jesus. So we have to, have to, have to continually go back and focus on Jesus. And how do we do that? We still don't celebrate Passover. What do we do? Hopefully you figured it out by now. (laughs) We celebrate the Passover at this church once a month at least, sometimes several times when the text is appropriate for it. We celebrate the Passover, the fuller meaning of the Passover, the Lord's Supper. By remembering that Jesus broke his body for us, he shed his blood so that death no longer is an enemy that has any teeth, that King Jesus is alive and he is coming again, and that his blood has been put over the doorposts of your life if you have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. When you are in the middle of a crisis, Remember the work that Jesus has done for you. And then future generations. Your children, your grandchildren, your cousins, your nieces and nephews, your neighbors, the kids you teach in Sunday school. When you're in the middle of a crisis, remember the work Christ has done for you so that they will be obedient to the Lord in the future. Remember Jesus in the crisis. Let's pray. Father, we are about to take the Lord's Supper together. And just as you connected ancient Israel back to the Passover through their regular observance of the Passover, so too you connect us all the way back to the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are publicly proclaiming that Jesus has died for our sins, rose again, and will come again. And that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. I pray that You prepare our hearts. I pray that You connect us back to that moment on Calvary that simultaneously wonderful and horrifying moment where our sins were forgiven and the perfect spotless Lamb of God shed His blood. I pray that You'll give us hearts like little children who are horrified at the sacrifice of the perfect spotless Lamb. And I pray that You also give us hearts of little children on Christmas morning filled with joy that you would love us so much and have so much affection. Work in our hearts, Father. Change us. I pray that you will help us to be the people that worship you in the middle of the crisis and remember the work Christ has done for us and knows that he's coming back again. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And I think truthfully, we are connected all the way back to the Passover. The reason that 
they were told again and again, continue to observe this through all generations in a very tangible, physical way. The children of Israel were connected to the original Passover when they had not experienced themselves. And I think because the Lord's Supper is Jesus giving the fuller meaning of the Passover, we are connected not just 2,000 years ago, but we're connected all the way back to the time of Moses. As Paul said, if you are follower of Christ, you are a child of Abraham. In Mark 14, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take it. This is my body. Let's partake together. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's partake together. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. With the worship team coming up, just at that first Lord's Supper, they sang hymns immediately after. And so too will we sing worship to our great Lord and Savior, the one who was, who is, who is coming again, who shed his blood for us so that we might have life. Will you stand and worship with us?